I'm just a road builder here. <laughs> I work on the water system too sometimes. It's the water of life bringing out from the depths of our inner being. And we're building a very easy road to ecstasy, bliss, to real lasting happiness. How many would like a road to happiness? Yeah. That's good. So this path is really very simple. It's so simple I have nothing to say. Because it's not about words, but about being. So a satsang is just a time when we come to be together. I should be louder. <laughs> they're, they're celebrating already bliss. <laughs> this is great. And they say everyone wants it. It's either yoga or football. I'm not sure. It's all ultimately the same sport. And everyone is trying to become a hero in their own life. But heroism requires great courage. And the heroism of conquering oneself is a far greater achievement than conquering another football team or conquering another nation. The conquest of one's own mind is what yoga is about. There's a story in the Mahabharata, one of the great epics of India, in one of the chapters that precede what is now called the Bhagavad Gita, which is about the great war, which is a metaphor for the war that goes on within one's soul when one enters the spiritual journey. And there's a struggle between that part of you that wants to achieve liberation and that part that wants to remain in suffering, the joy of suffering, and not reach the real joy of God consciousness. And uh, Arjuna, who is the leader of the army of the good guys who want God consciousness, uh, is confronted with Krishna, who is the avatar, the incarnation of God. And the general of the other army is also there. And Krishna gives them a choice. You can either have all of the weapons that God can manufacture, or you can have God, me, in your chariot. Which do you want? Well, the general of the other side immediately said, I'll take the weapons. And so he got all kinds of missiles and machine guns and nuclear weapons. They even described mushroom clouds and guided missiles. And it was very advanced, high tech that they had back then. And uh, Arjuna said, that's okay, I'm happy. Uh, I'd rather just have Krishna. 
in my chariot. And Krishna, of course, didn't fight. He's nonviolent. He wouldn't help in any way except he would drive the chariot while Arjuna did the fighting. And this attitude is one of extreme importance. I'm applying it now to the fact that I never prepare what I'm going to say in one of these events. That's like trying to get your army together. I say, no, I'd rather have God with me. Let God speak through me. I'm not worried about having words. Don't give me a lot of words. Just give me the shakti, the energy, because that energy will be translated into whatever people need to hear. And it has nothing to do with an individual. It has to do with the energy field that we are creating together. But it has to do also with an, a general attitude of life, of not worrying about whether you have your weapons, your tools, your preparations, but being in the flow in each moment and trusting that you will have what you need to be adequate to the challenge of that moment. The same story is in the Bible of the manna that comes from heaven for the Israelites who are wandering in the desert. And they just, every day they get enough food for that day. No leftovers, they can't store it up, can't hoard it. They have to trust the next day they'll receive what they need for that day. And when we are in that state, then we can truly be present to the richness of what is happening. And the richness of what is occurring at the inner dimensions of our being, not just at the surface. So when we enter a path of yoga, which sat yoga in particular, not hatha yoga, which is more concerned with the uh, physical exercises and breathing exercises, which are preliminaries. They are good for you. They help you relax. They're good for your health. And most of the practices of hatha yoga are very recent. Most of them are actually 20th century phenomena, all of these new ways of practicing asanas and turning it into an aerobic practice uh, never existed in the classical yoga. And even hatha yoga itself only goes back to the 10th century, the term itself and the initial practice of the, um, the, the extended form of the asanas, let's say, uh, began as metaphors for different states of consciousness and was more connected to Ayurveda than it was to yoga proper. But, you know, 10 centuries is a blink of an eye for yogic history because yoga goes back 5,000 years. And it's the science of consciousness. It's the science of how to develop the full potential of our consciousness because we're not born with an instruction manual as to how to do that. But we have many higher centers of our mind, not just our brain, but our mind, our soul, our spirit, that need to be activated in a, a systematic manner in order to be able to unfold the full powers that are latent in us. They call them siddhis, yogic terminology. And there are seven major modalities that emerge, naturally. Uh, the first one is an increase in our intelligence. 
because as you go inward, you have access to more of the wisdom that comes from the deeper levels of your mind. And you see reality in a more subtle way. Reality at the surface level is like a zero-sum game. Either I win or you win, and we're in a struggle, and it's just about some little piece of territory, and it's about who goes first and who gets the bigger piece of cake, and uh, am I going to get my needs met, security needs, uh, attachment, desire, and uh, domination. These are the main issues for the ego, and so its intelligence is limited to dealing with that small field of interest. But as you go deeper and want to know, who am I really? What is consciousness? Where does it come from? And don't accept what the modern neuroscientists tell you, that it's simply an activity of brain chemistry. It's a lot more than that. The brain chemistry is an effect, not a cause. As you go deeper into your consciousness, you will discover many, many levels to it. Consciousness itself, ultimate simplicity. And yet, it contains and can be experienced as uh, infinite complexity. Because the whole universe is consciousness. And therefore, consciousness appears as the infinite forms of existence of matter, of energy, of life, space, time, and all of the nuances of our capacity to feel and to think. And so our intelligence, as it grows and as it deepens, enables us to have an appreciation for the depth and the complexity of reality and to simplify it so that we can navigate our way through very difficult situations and act decisively with the wisdom of what we are doing based on the highest intention of bringing peace, of bringing integrity into the world. The second modality of consciousness that develops is from the heart, it's love. And we live now in a culture that emphasizes thinking, but tactical thinking, calculating, thinking how to win battles, thinking how to make money, thinking how to achieve some very specific end. It's not balanced by feeling. It's not balanced by thinking in order to bring more love into the world. The thinking, the mind, and the heart are not integrated in this culture, and you're not taught that in the educational system. And so for many people, the heart atrophies. And it rebels, and it can often uh, lead to an excess of emotion that is uncontrollable and lead to a very roller coaster-like instability of our emotional consciousness. So our intelligence, our wisdom, has to be integrated with our capacity to feel. And that capacity to feel, as we deepen our consciousness, goes from very superficial emotions, anger and frustration and sadness and depression and anxiety, to the deeper and more sublime emotions of true divine love and the experience of the ecstasy, the bliss of God consciousness. But we have to cultivate a capacity to feel and to hold the energy of feeling because it can be overwhelming. And in the beginning states, when people start to meditate and feel the bliss, they will cry, 
they will have uh, feelings of, of just being totally overwhelmed by it and afraid of it. And so they, they will often want to go back into a state where there's less of that energy and power of feeling. So it's important to have the wisdom and the, the love in sync so that both of them can deepen and feed each other, nourish each other with structure and with the dynamic desire, pure desire to reach our ultimate level of goodness and of empowerment and of beauty, spiritual beauty. And the third modality to develop, and these don't go in a linear progression, they really all develop synchronously and in an interwoven way, but of what is most important is the capacity for will. For most people today, our willpower is fragmented and conflicted. We want so many different things that we are paralyzed and in a, a deadlock. And one minute we're sure we want this, and the next minute another thought comes, we want that, and we don't know. Do I go left? Do I go right? Do I wait? Do I rush forward? And either we just bull our way through and make a bad decision but stick to it because we're afraid of the inertia and paralysis of having made a mistake and won't admit that we've made a mistake and therefore we don't grow from it and we don't change direction or we just do nothing at all and remain very passive. We want to avoid both of those misuses of our willpower. But to gain the full potential of our willpower, we have to unite our consciousness and bring all of those fragments and different conflictive goals and intentions into a single wholeness of being. When we do that, the fourth modality enters, which is a deeper connection to the source and a greater intuition. And intuition is a little different than intelligence because it comes into our intelligence, but it's a connection to that source that's even higher than our individual self. It comes from that source of the Supreme Being. And if we can receive that intuition, then we will know things that our scientific, rational mind can never learn from studying the environment or even from our heart. It comes from the heart of the universe. And when our individual heart and the heart of God are connected, the intuition flows in a beautiful way. And when it can be captured and translated by our cognitive capacity, then we can symbolize, we can express ourselves in words, in art, in music, in all the forms of human creativity. And so the next modality is that our creativity expands. And we're able to imagine ways of expressing ourselves that we could not even imagine before. <laughs> and ways of expressing ourselves with beauty, with love, with joy, with the wisdom of the heart become externalized as beautiful works of art, of music, of drama, of philosophy, of science, of all of the ways of, of human culture. And then beyond that, the next modality is one that is perhaps the most needed in the world today. 
And that is that what emerges is the light, the inner light. There is a supernal light. It's not this light. It's not even the light of the sun. But there is an inner light, a divine light, that you will be able to see more and more as you meditate and focus within and turn your third eye inward to the source. And that light comes through and enters into the physical field as Shakti. It's like electricity, but more powerful. And it can spread through your own body and heal the cells of your body. It creates an auric field that protects you from negativity, even from radiation. But it is the energy that you can then transmit to others as healing power. And so the ability to Download and transmit Shakti is a very important capacity of our consciousness. And this light and energy, when it is guided by wisdom and love, becomes a tremendous force in the world to transform our whole existence in ways that we can only imagine once that capacity for higher thought and wisdom have emerged. And then finally, what is of course of utmost importance that emerges is the ultimate nature of consciousness itself. You could say it's our supreme beingness. It is the highest that we can feel, that we can encounter, that we can realize. Whether we use the term God, or the Tao, or the Buddha mind, or Allah, or any of the many terms that we have in the different spiritual traditions of the world developed, none of them fully capture the reality, because it is indescribable. And yet, the more we attune to that, the more we realize that that is what we are. Not individuals with bodies and minds going through space and time, but we are the source itself, manifesting in a particular individuality, a particular way of expressing the infinite, but we are the infinite itself, beyond the dualities of life and death, beyond the dualities of time and space beyond the dualities of even good and evil, beyond every duality, the ultimate unity that underlies our reality, that supreme being is what we are. To reach that, because it goes beyond any concepts, we have to silence the mind. The mind with its a desire to grasp this symbolically is useless and it gets in the way, it actually interferes. And so the mind, although it's useful for a certain part of the road that we're building to heaven, at a certain moment we have to leave the road behind and begin bushwhacking and going, going through the jungle, but the jungle of bliss. And we have no description for it and even emotions, even the highest love, will not fully express what is emerging from the source. 
Even bliss does not cover it. And so we have to be willing to go beyond into the ultimate unknown and unknowable that is our own self. And although very few actually do that in their life because they either are afraid or they have not come to recognize the ultimate importance of this and the ultimate benefit and fulfillment, it is possible for everyone to choose that and to reach it successfully because it is who we are. It's not something alien to our being. It is only alien to the false self that's in a state of insecurity and confusion and lostness. But as we journey deeper inward, that mask is left behind and the real self yearns only for this ultimate union with God. And so that's the road that we're building. But building the road is one thing and walking the road is another. And each of us must make the choice ourselves. Do I want to walk that road? And do I want to go where the road stops and keep going until I reach the absolute? And that's what our community is here to do, support each other in walking this road that is less traveled than any other road, but more valuable than any other road. And when it comes to the end of the road for each of us to honor the path through the jungle that each one takes. You know, there's a story in the legends of King Arthur, which are also very important spiritual, uh, mythological teachings of the Middle Ages, that the knights, in their search for the Holy Grail, had to each choose their own place to enter into the great forest to find the Grail, and they would have to choose to enter the forest at a place where there was no path. If you, if you went where there was already a path, where someone else had been, you'd never find the Holy Grail. You can only find it if you're on a path that is absolutely your own. You're not imitating anyone else, you're not following anyone else, you're not going by some book, you're, whether it's an ancient one or a modern one, you're not going according to what anyone <coughs> tells you, no matter how wise they seem to be, although it's not bad to take wisdom on your journey with you, but at some point you will be called to make that last leg of the journey on your own, in your own way, and in a way that cannot be judged by anyone else, cannot be understood by anyone else. And the real resistance to that ultimate stage of the journey is no one else ever again will understand you. You will have gone into such a deep point of consciousness in which it's only you and God. And ultimately even that duality collapses into union. And, and there is aloneness with the all one. And all a community do, can do is to support those who are willing to make that journey and recognize its validity, its power, its truth and honor those who have made that journey and who come back from that journey with wisdom to teach that has never been known before. 
and those who have made the journey all the way to the source and who return to offer in some way to express what cannot be expressed but can be transmitted energetically will have the power to change the world. We are in a situation now where the world needs help. There's a massive die-off of species, a massive climate change that's affecting world civilization that will raise the level of the oceans, which are already dying, as you know, there are very few living creatures left because of oil spills and pollution and radiation now. And our world is in a very perilous situation that is unprecedented in history. It will not be solved by technological means. It will not be solved by the current structures of society which have caused the problem and do not have either the will or the wisdom to solve them. There will have to be a grassroots arising of a new culture at a higher level of consciousness that comes with the inspiration to resolve the earth's difficulties. Who will have learned the truth that nature responds to consciousness? She's our mother, but she takes care of us when we take care of her. We haven't been taking care of nature. We've been raping our mother. And mother is not happy with that <laughs> and is eliminating those who have not been treating her with the proper reverence. And so until we reach that humility and reverence and surrender and union with nature as well as supernature, we will not be given the keys to create a new kingdom of heaven on earth, but may become an extinct species on a dead planet. This is our choice, and the history of the world is now in the balance. Its future will be determined by all of us here, not by somebody in Washington or Moscow or London or Paris or wherever. They are responsible for the death of the old civilization, but who is going to bring to birth the new one? It will be people who are unknown, unheralded, with no fame or fortune, but who have the courage to make the journey to ultimate reality and bring back the powers of God to do the work of recreating a world of love and peace and joy and integrity on this world that nature will approve of and will therefore enable to thrive. But although the Darwinists deny it fiercely, there is intelligent design. It's not random, it's not chance. And what is happening here is not some event that is out of our control. It's only out of the control of the ego. But when we are aligned with the ultimate consciousness behind reality, we will know that all of this is designed to awaken us, to frighten us, in order to take very seriously and somberly our responsibility toward the earth, to rediscover the value of life 
and its potentials and not settle for a consumerist, dumbed-down world and life that ends up being meaningless and unfulfilling. And so we are called to be reborn to a higher life and to become the great warriors of spirit who can bring in a new age and a new way of living together, a new community, a new uh, relationship to nature, to the earth, to live in simplicity again, to not be disturbed when the grid falls and there's no more electric lights coming. We'll have our candles already in place. We'll have our water supply. We'll be having grown our own food. We will be in alignment with nature. We will even perhaps be able to reach a point where we don't need to eat because we can live on the Shakti. And that is possible. And there are yogis who have proven that but it requires tremendous meditative power. We'll be able to heal ourselves. We won't need to go to hospitals and doctors. We'll be put them out of business. I think gladly in many cases. <laughs> and we'll be able to live the supernatural lives we were meant to lead as gods and goddesses. This has been the goal of every religion. It's there in Christianity. It's called theosis. This is the goal. It's there in Judaism. This is the goal. It's there in Islam. It's there in Buddhism. It's there in Vedanta. It's there in Taoism. Immortality. Taoism is all about reaching immortality. Creating in your own body and mind the elixir of immortality. The Amrita. But are we willing to do it? Are we willing to become the al alchemists who do the experiment? and achieve the result. You can't just read about this. You can't just give it lip service. You have to actually do it or else it's pointless. So reading all the books is ultimately a diversion from what needs to happen. What needs to happen is very simple. Just be. Just stop the chattering mind and discover who you really are underneath all of that and let that emerge. What could be simpler? Literally, it's about doing nothing. This is the goal of everyone, isn't it? <laughs> Every ego says, I don't want to do anything today. Well, if you would really not do anything, you'd be enlightened. But that has to include not thinking stupid egoic thoughts that dissipate your energy and discharge you rather than charge you up. So the goal of yoga is to increase the amount of energy that we have in our bodies, shakti, not just the physical energy, but the highest level of energy, transform the physical, the, what the Taoists call the jing, to chi, and then the chi to the shen, or the prana to the shakti and then augment it, cultivate it, until you have a huge energy field. This is what the halo around Christ's head is about. It's that energy field. Mother Mary has it. The saints have it. Why? What, what is that light about? It's real. It is not simply a metaphor. But you have to create it. It's very subtle. But when your third eye opens, you will see it as well as feel it, as well as be able to harness it and use it. This is a gift that God gives us. It's energy. And that energy, just like the electricity that you can use to 
plug in a blender or a computer or a TV or anything else, you can use this energy for anything you want. Whether it's wisdom, love, telepathy, out-of-body experiences, uh, healing of any kind, you can use it for all kinds of things. But first you have to have it and know how to use it and use it in a way that's in alignment with the will of God, not for egoic aggrandizement. <laughs> and so the training in yoga is an ethical training, we call that the Dharma, and a training in the wisdom, the training in living harmoniously with other people so you're not constantly in shocks and in power struggles, just so you can get that foundation out of the way and then the real work starts at the higher level. Make the foundation firm so that it's second nature and you're supported by everyone else. You're not in some struggle. You're, you're actually finding your life is enhanced by other people who are willing to help you do all the daily labor and it's not all on your own shoulders. And then you will have more time to meditate and to reach the silence of the heart and the presence of God. And when you do that and have the very first taste of the bliss of the presence of God, you'll never go back to any other life or any other cheap thrill. This is what you'll want because it is such a pure ecstasy with all of the ramifications of the energy of the Supreme Being that you will never be able to get enough of it and your entire ego will surrender until you become it. And this can happen all in one afternoon or it can happen over a few years or it can happen over a few lifetimes. That's up to you. But this is a moment of critical importance in our planetary history and this is the moment that it must happen if we are going to be able to survive and produce offspring in future generations in this world. That, that decision is being made now collectively by all of us depending on our choice of our values. And if you recognize that this is of the highest value and the highest importance beyond any other ambition you might have to be successful in some other field and leave behind this ultimate necessity of enlightenment and liberation. So be it. You'll get what you want, but you will have missed out on the highest. And that's why Christ says, get thee the kingdom of heaven first, and then all else will be added unto you. But if you try to get the other things first, you'll miss out on the kingdom of heaven, and then you end up with nothing. Don't build your house on sand, build it on strong foundations. If you build on sand, it'll get washed away. No matter how strong the house is, if the foundation is not strong, it won't last, especially with all the earthquakes we're having. And this is about building a strong foundation for our lives so that nothing can ever disturb you, nothing can ever cause you to have a meltdown, Nothing can ever create anxiety, depression, or confusion. And you become an empowered sage 
an empowered saint, an empowered avatar. You can do it. That's why you have come here to this life. But a decision has to be made, a commitment, and it must be a commitment to do it now. To say, ah, I might do it next week, doesn't get it. Doesn't, it will never happen. It can only happen in the moment that you decide it's now. So a satsang is always a critical gathering because you are faced with that choice, now or never. Yes, you can wait till the next satsang, but then you create the sanskara of waiting. And that sanskara, that tendency of waiting, I'll see, does this really work? Is this community the real thing? Is this a, you know, it makes sense, let me read a few more books, let me see some good movies, whatever it is that you're, you're gonna wait for. Time will never ripen, it's not about time. It's about your unifying your powers of being and crossing the line the commitment that is a point of no return, no back doors, no ways of deceiving yourself, no crossed fingers, total commitment because that alone will get you to the goal. And that's true no matter what your goal is, but it's even more important when your goal is the highest. And so that's why there has to be integrity and there has to be one-pointedness and there has to be a, a consistency that is reiterated and reaffirmed every day, constantly. A remembrance of who you are, why you're here, what is your intention. Until that becomes constantly present as the energy of God in your consciousness. And then it happens spontaneously from there, there on. And you never will have to think again. God will do the thinking for you. And everything will be beautiful and blissful. So the only question is, do you want that? If you want it, it will come to you. Seek and thou shalt find but the seeking must be authentic. The real seeking happens not in talks, but in meditation. So I'd like us to meditate together.